There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's open the Word of God, shall we? Would you open your Bible with me again to the Gospel according to John, to this glorious chapter, John chapter number 17, the great high priestly prayer of our Lord. And if you'll permit me, I want to back up. We've studied the first half of this chapter, but I want to read a few of the verses we've studied already and then keep reading into our text for tonight, just so you see the flow of it all and a common theme that is repeated. Look at John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me are of Thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And we come to our text for tonight. Would you look very carefully, beginning at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Would you look at the end of verse 21? This is the goal. This is, this is what we want. Wouldn't it be glorious? Wouldn't it be glorious if the whole world could recognize who Jesus is? 
Let's take a vote on it. May I take a church vote? Is that all right? It has nothing to do with business. Let's take a vote on it. How many of you would like your whole city to know who Jesus is? Would you raise your hand? All right. I want to tell you, you cannot get to the end of verse 21 unless you let God be thorough with you in the verses that lead up to it. You see, everybody wants a shortcut today. Everybody wants some quick fix, some cheap substitute, some drive-through religion, some Instagram filter to place over their Christianity that will suddenly produce the kind of world-shaking, God-glorifying move that we know we desperately need. And yet, I think the thing that is missing is that we have allowed the Lord to be thorough with us like the Lord wants to be thorough with us. Revival doesn't start with the world. It starts with the disciples. It starts with the followers of Jesus Christ. And the thing that has taken my attention in these verses for this hour tonight is the emphasis that God places here on His own Word. Could I show you what I mean? Did you notice the emphasis even as I read? Take your pen and mark it. In verse number 6, he says at the end of it, They have kept thy word. It's the word of God. Look at verse 8. He said, I have given unto them the words which thou hast given me. I love in verse 6 it's the word. In verse 7 or verse 8, it's the words, plural. Look, please. We have the word of the living God because we have the very word. I still believe that every word of Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God. That when God breathed out His Word and everything that comes out of God must be perfect, then the Word of God being God-breathed, it must be a perfect Word for us. And that the very words were given to His followers. And then, come down, would you please, to verse number 12. He references here the Scripture being fulfilled. Just another way of referencing the Word. Then he references in verse 13 the things that he spoke. We have the, the spoken Word of Christ, and now, John 17, it becomes the written Word of Christ. Again, the Word of the living God. And if that were not enough, in verse 14, he says again, I have given them thy what? Word. And then you come to our verse for tonight. Would you read verse 17 aloud with me, church? Ready? Here we go. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Would you mark it again in verse 17? The word of God is truth. Somebody said, I'll tell you one thing, preacher. This world really needs the truth. Hold on to your seat. The church really needs the truth. There's a reason this world hasn't gotten a hold of the truth, and that is the truth hasn't sufficiently gotten a hold of us. The reason lost men don't know the truth is that saved people don't know the truth. Why should it shock us that sinners act like sinners? And why do we get annoyed and aggravated when lost people act like lost people? I'll tell you what ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us that those of us who've been in church all of our lives and come to the Lord's house every Lord's day have so very little of the power of Almighty God resting upon us. Where does that power come from? You notice in John 17 how the Lord equates the word of the Father with the name of the Father. In the Old Testament he said he's exalted his word above his name. You see, the word of God is the same as saying the name or the character, the nature of our God. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a revival of the word of God in our own hearts and homes. That's what we need. Somebody said, if we had more preachers, 
If we had more preachers preaching the word, then we might really have revival. I say to you, if we had more church members reading and studying the word, we might have revival. Revival never came because some preacher preached a better sermon. Revival came when God's people got in the word and the word got a hold of them. I find it interesting in John 17, this interwoven connection between the Word and prayer. Because what is John 17? It's a prayer. And what's one of the themes? The Word. Do you see here the back and forth with God? God speaks to us through His Word. We speak to Him through prayer. Look, the Word is God's revelation to man, and prayer is our response to God's revelation. That's why if you really want to commune with God, don't start with prayer. Start with the Word. Because when you let God speak to you, you'll talk to Him different. When you know you're in the presence of God, you'll approach the Lord differently, high, holy, and exalted. For the record, God's Word will straighten a lot of our praying out too. You won't ask for some things normally you'd ask for because suddenly you'll find the revealed will of God in the Word and the Word will direct your prayers into the Lord's presence. There's this connection between the Word and prayer. Could it be that people are not people of prayer because they're not people of the Word? We complain about a biblically illiterate society and schools that won't post the Ten Commandments and courthouses that won't post the Ten Commandments in the name of God. I tell you, the crying shame of our land is not that the secularist won't do it. The crying shame of our land is the sermons from preachers like me and never open the Bible one time between Sundays. What we need is a return, a revolution, a revival of people in love with the Word of God. And I tell you, when you get in love with the Word of God, you'll get in love again with the God of the Word. Do you remember when you first got saved and the Word was exciting to you? Oh, it was fresh and real. And you're going to say, yeah, but it was all new to me then. Well, let it get new to you again, dear friend. Ask the Lord to give you fresh eyes when you approach the Word of God. Pray the prayer of the psalmist, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. O God, speak to me. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And I tell you, people with that kind of faith and expectancy, people who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The great revival that we need is a revival of hunger and thirst after God. And if you really want to know God, God reveals himself through his word. And so here we are, John 17, right in the heart of it. It is what? The word and prayer. Doesn't that sound so simple? I was having this conversation with someone recently. But you know, really, we make the Christian life so everlasting complicated, don't we? We just complicate everything. And the Lord makes things so supremely simple. Oh, the beautiful simplicity that is in Christ. Would you like to have revival? I'm going to tell you how to have revival. You ready? Let God speak to you and then you answer him. Let the word dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then you say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I agree with everything you just said to me. And everything you said, I will do. You let a people get taken with the Word of God, and then get in step with the God of the Word. And I tell you, those people will have the power of God upon them and will make a difference in this world. And many will come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I draw your attention tonight to one little word. It's repeated three times. Did you notice it in verse 17 and again in verse 19? I'll read it when I stop to say the next word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? Verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the what? 
truth. Can I tell you one of the things that's sorely lacking in our world today is truth? We're living in a world of lies. You ever seen so much deceit in your life? Would you like to know what's behind it all? Satan is a liar and the father of it. And after a while, you believe one of his lies, you'll believe more of his lies. And lies always lead to more lies, and there's only one thing that can cut through the discombobulated mess of our deceitful culture. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It is the truth of the Word of God. Hold your place here and go back in John just for a second to John 8. I was reading through John the other day, and this just just captured me again. John 8, Jesus is speaking to a bunch of religious people. I tell you, we need some religious people to get thoroughly right with God. That's what we need. And he said to a bunch of religious people in verse 32, and ye shall know the what? Truth. I like this. And the truth shall make you free. It's not just lost men that are in bondage. There's a lot of saved people living in bondage. There's a lot of religious people all bound up. And I'm going to tell you what will set you free. See, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of truth. Jesus said, only the truth can make you free. And I like what he says in verse 36. If the Son thereof shall make you free, ye shall be what? Free indeed. <laughs> Do you see? Here is the living word, that's the Lord Jesus, and the written word, the truth. The word of God works in you. It will make you free indeed. So go back to our prayer in John 17. It's certainly a prayer that you can pray for others, but I believe it's a prayer we need to turn around and pray for ourselves because it's what Jesus is praying for us. We need to get in on Jesus' prayer. We need to say amen to what Jesus asked for. We need to say to the Heavenly Father, I want to agree with Jesus in prayer tonight. I want to pray this for me and for my loved ones. I'm speaking tonight on transforming truth. Truth always transforms. All truth is God's truth. It's not my truth and your truth. All truth is God's truth. In a world of relativism where people think there are no absolutes, there is absolute truth, and it is rooted in God. And when people really get a hold of it, it changes them. Let's examine these three verses tonight, verse 17, 18, and 19. Notice, first of all, in verse number 19, what Jesus says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself. Would you write down number one tonight somewhere, we see here what Christ accomplished for our sake. Pastor, this, this expression I've read for years and I've just breezed over it, but I cannot get away from it today. Look carefully at the verse. Did you ever notice what Jesus said? For their sakes I sanctify myself. Wait a minute, I thought he was the holy son of God. He is the holy son of God. I thought he was the sinless man. He is the sinless man. And yet the word sanctify here means to set apart for a specific purpose, to withdraw from one thing and be committed to something else. And what is Jesus doing here? Look, he's about to teach these disciples how the truth can transform them, how the truth can sanctify them, how the truth can set them apart and make them a different people so they can make a difference in the world. But in the heart of that, he reveals something about what he's done for us. Oh, I love this. Thank you for this, Lord. Jesus never asks you to go first. He always goes first. We love him because he first loved us. He didn't tell you to obey the Father first. He obeyed first unto death. He didn't tell you to take up your cross first. He took up his cross first. And then he said, now you take up your cross and follow me. Do you understand that the Lord Jesus always leads the way and all he wants is for us to follow him. And I want you to ponder tonight what Christ has accomplished for your sake. In fact, every good thing God has ever done, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's done for our sake. He should have wiped us off the map. That's what he should have done. He should have sent us all straight to hell because that's what every one of us deserve. But for our sake, for love's sake, for mercy's sake, for grace's sake, what has he done? He set himself apart and he gave himself to death. He was sanctified in his life. He's just different. He wasn't just born. He was the virgin-born Son of God. And he didn't just live. Thank you, Jesus. He lived perfectly. He fulfilled the law in every way, said no to the tempter every time, and pleased the Father every day. You know what that is? That's a sanctified life right there, my friend. And then he not only sanctified himself in his life, but he sanctified himself in his death. He died differently. Oh, someone would say as a common criminal, but I say to you, no, he laid down his own life. No man took it from him. He had power to lay it down. He had power to take it up again. Listen to me. Nobody's ever done that except the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, could I show you something? Hold your place right here in John 17 and flip over to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. The end of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. We've had an interesting little commentary on what Jesus says here about sanctifying himself setting himself apart. Look at Hebrews 13 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might, there's that word, sanctify the people with his own blood. Anybody in this room glad that he shed his blood for you? But watch, watch, watch. If he was going to sanctify you, he first had to set himself apart. So what did he do? Look at the end of the verse. In order to sanctify you with his own blood, he suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Look, please, like a priest that says, I can only offer the sacrifice if everything is in order. Our great high priest made sure everything was in order. Like the Old Testament sacrifice that had to be clean and pure and right in order to be accepted upon the altar, our Lord Jesus laid down his own sinless life for our soul's salvation. Thanks be unto God for what Christ did for our sake. And I think it's very important that we don't jump right to what we're supposed to do for his sake. We begin with what he did for our sake. You will never love Jesus until you realize how much he loves you. Never obey him until you realize what he sacrificed for you. And you will never hunger after him until you realize his heart for you. If you want the truth to transform you, then you must begin by realizing what Christ accomplished for your sake. Go back to John 17. Before we go any further, let me just point something out. Look at John 17 with me just for a moment. Notice what the Bible says. In verse number 19, he says, And for their sakes, don't miss this, I sanctify what? Myself. Only Jesus could do that. Watch this, please. If I get sanctified, if I get made holy, God has to act on me. I can't do that on my own. I can't clean up my act. I can't change my heart. I can't renew my mind. I need God to work in me both to will and do of his good pleasure. I need an outside power to work on the inside of me. Oh, I love this. But Jesus was the sinless son of God. And so because of that, the holiness that he exuded was his own holiness. It was not some other holiness put on to him. It was the very nature of the lovely Son of God. He sanctified himself, and why did he do it? For our sakes. There's a second thing I want you to see tonight. 
not only what Christ accomplished for our sake, but secondly, what Christ provided for our sanctification. Now don't miss this. What did Christ provide for our sanctification? Look at verse 17 and then the end of verse 19. In verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then in the end of verse 19, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. May I tell you what Christ provided for our sanctification? He provided the truth of the word of God. It's why Jesus came. He is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. And then when he left, I like this, he had it written down in black and white so we wouldn't forget it. Somebody said, I wish Jesus would speak to me. Open the book and you'll hear his voice. He does speak through the word of God. How does God sanctify a life? He sanctifies the lives of his children through the power and the purging of his word. And I must tell you, tonight it's a process. And we are all in the process. Forty years ago, I got saved. In fact, the other night I was preaching in a gospel meeting, and I didn't re realize it till the end of the meeting, but the woman who led me to Christ 40 years ago was in the meeting that night. She came to see me afterward, and we talked and got her picture made together, and it was sweet and wonderful. And my mind went back to that moment as a little boy when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymn writer said, glad day, glad day when Jesus washed my sins away. It was a glad day. But I'm realizing at this juncture that that day was not the end. It was just the beginning of it. Look, please. Salvation happens instantaneously. Salvation is a moment in time. Salvation is that moment where we look to Christ and the Lord does for us what only the Savior can do. But watch, that salvation puts in motion a process of sanctification. And that, dear friends, continues all the days of your life. You know who the hardest people are to get to get thoroughly right with God? People who have been saved a long time. Ironic, isn't it? That the people who have the greatest knowledge of God up here sometimes get harder here when it comes time to say yes to the Lord. See, when you're a new believer, it's all new and fresh. And you say, oh, is that what God says in his word? Then I'll do that. Oh, yes, yes, if that's what the Lord. And after a while, we've heard that already. We tried that. We did that one time years ago. And suddenly, we find ourselves not allowing the Lord to be thorough with us. I find it interesting that in John 17, Jesus is talking to his who? disciples, not to lost people, to his disciples about their sanctification. And watch this. They've just lived with him for three and a half years. Wouldn't you think after three and a half years of walking with Jesus, you'd be a transformed person? And yet Jesus knew something. The process was just getting started good. We used to sing a song as kids, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on you? He's still working on every one of us. He's working on this preacher. He worked on me today about some things. I mean, he worked me over about a couple things this afternoon. And I want to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad he's still doing that. I don't want the Lord to just let me have my way. I want God to be thorough with me. And how does God do it? Through the Word, through the power of the Word of God. Let me show you something. Go back in your Bible to Psalm 119 for just a moment. We've been here. We've been in Psalm 119 already, haven't we? Look at this verse and connect this to what we're studying. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The answer, by taking heed thereto 
according to thy word. It does not say by simply reading it. It says by taking heed to it. You can sit in every meeting of this revival this week and not be changed. If the truth transforms you, it will not be simply because you heard it. It will be because you heeded it. It's got to get personal, friends. It's got to get real or it's not going to change you like God wants to change you. On our way back, stop off in Ephesians just for a second in the New Testament. Same principle, same principle. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25. Some of you wives are saying, that's right, preacher, park it right there. That's a good verse. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify, there's that word, and cleanse it with the what? Washing of water by the word. How does it get clean? Only through the word. Watch this. You let the word get in somebody and the word does the work. Look, the power this week is not my sermons. The power this week is the word of the living God. You want to live in a perpetual state of revival? You say, we can't come here every night, preacher. I'm not talking about coming here every night. I'm talking about getting every day and every night in the Word for yourself. You can live a revived life if the Word is allowed to clean you out on a daily basis. What's the goal? Look at the next verse, verse 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish basically God says I want to get everything out of you that doesn't look like Jesus and I want to put everything in you that does look like Jesus you know it's painful it's just painful people want revival they say they want revival what they really want is to tickle up their spine and to feel good about themselves they say they want revival really what they want is just to be comforted in their sin but I want you to know that's not revival no, no, this, this book right here that I'm holding in my hand is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I'll tell you what this is. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the scalpel of the Holy Ghost, and it cuts to the quick. And in the meetings like this, God puts us under the searchlight, and He reveals some things that will be. And the preacher doesn't even have to preach on them because the Holy Ghost is right now. And then the Word starts putting its finger on things in our lives and saying, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this. Don't resist that work. Don't reject that Word. No, friend, rejoice in it. God is doing His sanctifying work in your heart. The Lord is purging and is cleansing. By the way, go back to John 17. Let me just point something very interesting out to you here. Last evening we talked about the joy that's connected with the Word. Do you remember that? He says here he wants us to have our, his joy fulfilled in us. Did you ever notice that the same word that brings joy also brings holiness? That's interesting to me. See, we live in a world where people want the word if it makes them happy, but they don't want the word to make them holy. I want you to know those two things are not mutually exclusive. You don't get one or the other. You get both when the word does its work in you. The joy is connected to being thoroughly right with God. Turn back one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 15. Remember I said to you all these chapters go together? Everybody remember John 15? Famous. I'm the true vine. My father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. How does he purge it? Look at verse 3. Now ye are clean through the what? Through the word which I have spoken unto you. Are you starting to see a pattern here? God using his word 
to make us more like Jesus. Learning, growing, maturing, repenting. What is this? This is the deep work of salvation in the heart of a believer. It is the work of sanctification. And for the record, it never stops your whole life long. And if the process does stop in you, you are the one stopping it, not God. It doesn't stop to the day you see Jesus. In fact, to the day you take your last breath on earth and step into the presence of the thrice holy God, God's going to be working in you through His Word to try to make you more like Jesus Christ. That is the essence of revival. That is truth that transforms. This is what Jesus was trying to teach us. And so, we see first of all what Christ accomplished for our sake. Then we see what Christ provided for our sanctification or for our cleansing. And before I go on, may I just ask you this? How many of you have taken a bath or a shower in the last 24 hours? Thank you very much. We appreciate it. How many of you think it would be odd if somebody said, I, I took a bath about five years ago. I thought it would last me. You think that would be odd? You say, let them sit up in the balcony by themselves, right? You know why that is? Because we need bathed. We need cleansed regularly. If that's true for the body, how much more true is that for our sinful hearts? Look at Jesus down on his knees, girding himself with a towel, washing the feet of the disciples, giving them that picture not only of service on his side but cleansing on their side, saying to Peter, you don't need your whole body washed. That's been washed already, but you need your feet washed every day because they get dirty. What was he teaching? We need the constant cleansing of God in every one of our lives. I'm going to tell you what some of us need tonight. We need a good old-fashioned bath. That's what we need. That's exactly right. We need the Holy Spirit to turn on the faucet, the fountain of the water of the Word of God, and let's just say, Lord, get every dirty thing out of my mind. Get every vile motive out of my life. Get every bit of jealousy and envy and strife and contention out of me. And if it doesn't look like the glory of Jesus, get that out of my life. I want to be sanctified because that's why you died. There's a third thing I want you to see tonight. Because you see, sanctification must never be viewed selfishly. It's not just about us. What God is doing in us, God works in us to work through us. Don't miss this. Some people talk about sanctification so they can sit around, cross their arms, you know, like, excuse me, the big poobah in church, and they're in charge, and they're the pious, holy ones. I want you to know nothing could be further from sanctification. When people get the mind and heart of God, they start loving sinners. That's what they do. And so notice here, not only what Christ accomplished for our sake and what he provided for our sanctification, but number three, notice what Christ intended in our sending. Did you notice that in these verses where he deals with sanctification, he also talks about sending us? Look at verse number 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Circle in verse 17 the word sanctify and in verse 18 the word sent and connect the two in your Bible and don't miss the divine order. The sanctification comes first and the sending comes right after it. Can I give you a vivid illustration of that? Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. What's the first thing he says? Send me? No. 
first thing he says, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And God in his grace and mercy sent that holy fire from off the altar and touched his lips and said, your sin is taken away. Aren't you glad when you come clean with God, God makes you clean. When you stop hiding your sin, God covers your sin. When you confess it, he says, that's good enough for me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful Savior we have. But the story doesn't stop there. Immediately, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Lord, here am I. Send me. You want to know one mark of people getting thoroughly right with God? They want others to be right with God. You let a new convert, you watch what I'm saying, you let somebody get saved and you watch the enthusiasm of that new convert, one new convert in this church will bring more sinners to God than ten mature saints. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's so fresh and real in the heart, they just want all the family saved. They want all the co-workers to know. They want their neighbors to discover what they've just discovered. If you're not careful, that starts wearing off. We, we lose the wonder of some of that, you see. We get used to it. We become professional Christians. Watch this, please. You let one Christian get thoroughly right with God and taken with what Christ has done for our sakes. And let the word of Christ dwell in them richly and begin that sanctifying work that God provided through his word. And I'll tell you what will happen. Immediately that believer will not sit around self-satisfied with what they've become and who they are and whose they are. They will say, I want to go tell somebody else who Jesus is. God always connects sanctification and the sending. There's really a progression of truth here. We see Christ then we see ourselves, and then God opens us up, and suddenly we start seeing others. We start seeing those for whom Jesus died. And look at the verse. Everybody stare at verse 18 just a second. You realize the power of this verse? He, Jesus is talking to the Father, and he says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Even so, I mean, like just like the Father sent the Son, the Son sends us. That's right. You know what that is? It's divine authority, number one. And number two, it's a divine agenda. Why did Christ come to seek and to save that would let people get their heart thoroughly right with God and let the heart of Christ capture them? And I'll tell you what the number one priority will be. They want sinners to come to know Jesus. And I wonder, do you have that heart? When was the last time you fervently, earnestly sought after some lost soul to bring them to Christ? That's not the whole Christian life. No, no, it's not the whole Christian life, but it's an indicator. It's a, it's a little thermometer on where our hearts are, where our passions are. I, I was thinking of that verse this week, set your affections on things above, not on things below. You know, our affections get pretty captured down here, don't they? We get pretty consumed with the world that's getting ready to burn up. We get pretty invested in a life that is very temporary and we lose sight of eternity. And I want you to see what Christ intended in our sending. What did he intend? Look at the end of verse 21. We've come full circle back to where we started. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. We are sanctified to serve. We are sanctified to be sent. We are sanctified so that others can be saved. We are sanctified so that this same process can begin in the life of someone else. You know, Pastor, one thing that I get really 
I don't want to say frustrated about because I don't want to be frustrated about it, but I wonder about is when you get to the end of a special meeting, what, what continues? What goes out of it? I mean, so, so I came, preached a handful of sermons, and people said, we had a nice time. If that's all we did, I'm wasting my breath, and you're wasting your time. We're wasting God's time. No, I say to you, as important as the days of prayer and preparation were leading up to this meeting, the days coming out of this meeting are equally important. What will change? What will we do? What priorities will be realigned? What will transform us? And I tell you, only the truth can do that. When the truth of what Christ has done for you and what Christ is doing in you and what Christ wants to do through you really gets a hold of you, friend, it will transform you. It will change you forever. May I show you? May I show you something? Everybody got your Bible still open to John 17? I'm almost done. Stay with me. How many of you give me 60 seconds? Would you raise your hand? 60 seconds. That's at least 30 minutes right there. That's good. All right? Here's the phrase. You got your pen? Everybody get your pen handy. I want you to mark it in your Bible. I want you to see the divine order. Go back to verse 6, and I want you to mark this phrase, out of the world. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. He said to the Father, you saved them out of the world. Once you've marked that, everybody lift your head and look at me just a second. Here's a world, a lost world. They're not all going to be saved. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves all people. Christ died for every man. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we all know it. the whole world's not going to be saved. And so the Lord's taking out a people for his name. And out of that world, the Lord is saving sinners. Aren't you glad that God saved you out of the world? Hold up now. Come down to verse 11. And now he said, I'm no more in the world, but these are, mark this phrase, in the world. And here's the rub. God saved us out of the world, but we still got to live in the world. You got to still live around sinners. Sorry. And you got to still live with your full flesh. The biggest enemy I have is me. You got you to battle you. Now that's not all. Come down, please to verse number 14 because he clarifies here I've given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are mark this phrase not of the world <laughs> so that's interesting isn't it we, we've been sold, but we got to live in the world but our nature's such we don't fit into the world because we are not of the world but it doesn't stop there one more come down to verse 18 as thou hast sent me into the world even so have I also sent them what's the phrase into the world. And he says it twice, into the world. Look, please, he saved us out of the world. We, we're not of the world. We don't belong to them. And the truth of the matter is we have been sent back into the same world that God saved us out of. And you know what I fear? I fear that a whole lot of Christians are happy that God saved them out of the world, but they've never grown in the grace and knowledge of Christ to the point They've never let the truth transform them to the point that they've turned around and gone back into that same world with the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ to try to bring it to other people. I'm going to tell you what the truth will do. It'll transform you, and if it ever transforms you, it'll transform a whole lot of other people around you. Like ripples in a pond, like a spiritual chain reaction, you let God's truth work in you, and God's truth will start touching the lives of other people around you because that's just what the truth does. Last week, we had a gospel crusade in our home state, West Virginia. It was a wonderful meeting. 
It was a God-blessed meeting. It had been worked on for two years. Forty churches worked together. How many of you know that's a miracle of the grace of God? All different sized churches, but all gospel preaching, fundamental people, faithful servants of Christ, many of them, smaller congregations, but working together for souls. And we rented a convention center. And we had lots of people come to the meeting, and we had numbers of people saved. One of the things that was instructive to me, when all was said and done, and all was said, only God knows who really got. Uh, born again, we, we know there were people saved we didn't even know about. I think a lot of things are going to be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ someday. But when all the reports finally came in, in the meetings, the week of the meetings themselves, either in the meetings, in the rallies themselves, or through radio, or through the online live stream response, just over 100 people professed faith in Christ. It's wonderful. I mean, to have 100 souls come to Jesus, that was glorious. You know what we discovered? In the weeks and months leading up to the meeting, through the door-to-door effort, through the individual soul winning, at fairs and at the racetrack and at lots of different places, gospel preaching opportunities and evangelistic work, just over 200 people professed faith in Christ. Uh, it, was, it was instructive to me. Now, I'm glad we had the meeting and I enjoyed preaching the gospel. But the reality is a lot of sinners are not coming in here, here's somebody like me preach the gospel to them. But it's okay because the Great Commission never said open the church doors and let all the lucky sinners come find us. No, the Great Commission said go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I was reminded yet again that for every preaching opportunity like this to preach the gospel, and we should have them and we should use them, the great way to impact the world that they might believe is that those who know have to go out and tell those who don't know. Those who have it have to share it. And I learned it in a very personal way. On Saturday evening, we'd had the Friday night rally. We had numbers of people saved. It was wonderful. And I'm sitting in the Saturday night meeting in this large Coliseum-like room. And hundreds of people there. And it was a God and Country type program going on. It was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And it was going to be some time before I got up to preach. And I'm seated on the front row off near the side. And I'm just trying to get my mind ready. And one of the men, things on the platform and working on logistical things, came up and knelt down next to me. And he said, Brother Paul, he said, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He said, but there's a reporter back here. And she's insisting on getting an interview from somebody and says she can't wait to the end of the meeting. And I rolled my eyes. And I thought, oh, brother. And I must tell you, my immediate thought was, you know, they're going to come. They're going to get this shot. And then they're going to criticize it and talk about us having all these people in this room. And. You know, I just knew where it was going to go, but I didn't. I said, well, I'll, I'll come back for a moment. And I went back. It was a young lady, about 27 years of age. And it was a lot going on in the room, and so she said, could we step outside? And so we stepped outside of that Coliseum, and, and she said, I just need a brief interview, ask you a handful of questions. And she said, I've got some shots already in the meeting. And she asked her questions, and I answered them. She was kind. She said, it'll be on 11 o'clock tonight, it'll be on again tomorrow. And I thanked her, and I turned to walk back into the meeting. And when I did, the Holy Spirit just, boom, just stopped me and said to me, now you're going to go back in there and stand on that platform and preach to all those hundreds of people the gospel, and you haven't even asked this girl if she's saved. You ever have the Holy Spirit just wear you out? And we preachers have it too, you know. And I turned back to her and I said to her, I said, you've been very kind to me and 
very respectful, and I want to thank you. I said, could I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? Are you, are you really sure if you die today, go to heaven? Now, you've got to understand, in our area, maybe it's like your area, everybody says they're saved, you know. Everybody's a member of at least two churches, and they've been baptized four times, and everybody's grandma's a preacher, and you know what I'm talking about. And I just knew she was going to say, oh, yes, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And she looked at me, and she stumbled and stammered for a moment, and she said, well, I, I hope so, I, I think. And I said, has anybody ever showed you from the Bible how you, how you could know for sure that you know God? And she said, no, sir. Now, you think about this. She's come to a gospel meeting. And I said, would you let me show you? She said, sure. And standing outside that big convention center, all those people in there, I'm going to go preach to in just a minute. I opened the same Bible I was going to preach from. And I said to her, can I show you what I'm going to talk about tonight? Sure. And I started showing her about how real hope is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. And do you know in a matter of just five or six minutes, that young lady bowed her head with tears and called on the Lord to be saved. And when we finished our prayer, she said to me, she's, she didn't know how to express it. She said, I don't understand all this, sir, how I'm feeling right now. She said, but something happened inside. I, and I said, that's because the Lord Jesus has come to live in you. I went back into the meeting to preach, and I thought to myself, I wonder how many times the Lord sent me. And I was too dense and dull to even recognize there was another potential disciple right there. And I missed it. See, this is the way it's supposed to be, church. This is the truth that transforms. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.